Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, including interviews with experts in the fields of nutrition, physical and mental health, and my five-minute food facts series. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a lawyer-turned-nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will mention that, although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure or prevent injuries or medical conditions and is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I am here with veterinarian Dr. Chris McComiskey. In Australia, we love our pets. Did you know that 61% of all households have a pet? 40% of those households have at least one dog, which makes it the most popular pet in Australia, followed by cats, then fish, and then birds. Today, Chris and I are going to discuss how owning a pet can enhance your well-being. So I'm very, very excited to be here with fellow animal lover, Dr. Chris McComiskey. Chris, you're a veterinarian. And when did you know that you wanted to work with animals? I think these are the type of questions where you expect me to say I wanted to do it for my whole life, um, but it sort of, sort of didn't start that way. I think um, as a young child, I think there was always a fascination there. Um, I remember I used to go to the library with my, my father and my siblings and I used to um, rent out all the, the animal encyclopedias. Oh, I'd really? Walk, I'd take them home and mum had a scrapbook for me and I used to plagiarise and, and trace all the, all, the, all the different articles and so I had my own sort of little animal encyclopedia at home so I do that every every week so there was always something there and yeah. I also remember fondly in times with my, my brothers where we'd kind of collect you know lizards and spiders yeah. and frogs and 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 do our best to care for them often failing but you know doing our best so yeah I think it was just a fascination as a young kid but when I was in year year 10 the, the careers counsellor and told me that I probably wouldn't um, achieve results that were good enough to get into the veterinary degree. So he suggested I do something to do with sport, which was my, my other passion. Right. I was, I was never going to be a footballer. Um, so I started physiotherapy and I did it for six months. I hated it. Really? And yeah, it wasn't for me. And um, so the, the second six months of that year, I, I actually started doing work experience at a vet clinic around the corner from, from my house. And my, my, my job there was, was dog grooming, washing dogs. And, and I, I found I, you know, I had to talk, to talk to the customers about their dog and I found mm-hmm. you know, I really actually enjoyed those conversations with, with people and, and so I applied and, and uh, got into vet school the year after and that was that. Oh, well, well done. Yeah, it's a convoluted, but yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you obviously had an ongoing passion and it, um, it came to fruition yeah. as an adult. Yeah. Then going on to study it, how long does it take? What's the course like? Um, when I when I completed it, it was it was a five year double degree, mm-hmm. and the, the kids now have to do six. Right. Um, so it's 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 a, it's a long time. Yeah. Um, the first for me specifically, and it's about ten years ago now. Um, the the first three years was just like a bachelor of science. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say it was it was too different to other bachelor of science type degrees. Um, but the, the last two years is pretty full on. You know, you're, you're at, at the university at eight to five, Monday to Friday, and then on weekends you're working in the vet hospital there 
right one overnight so it's a full-time gig for two years and it's it's pretty it's pretty intensive mm. and as part of that degree do you learn surgery on animals or is that a separate thing no well, you do so you learn a lot of theory mm. but learning theory is very different to doing it yes you, you have some within within the university that i went to murdoch and perth they they, they had a, um, a you know, connection with the rspca there where we we helped desex rescued pets mm-hmm. um, but it was you know you'd, you'd be lucky to get much more than maybe you know one one cat desexing or one dog desexing before you graduated. Right. So you, you, some kids were, were fortunate in that some of their work experience places would would, would let them do quite a lot. Um, but um, you know myself, for example, I, I I left university having done one cat spay, and that was it. What's the next step then? How do you then get to the point where you you are qualified to do that? Well, you're qualified. Yeah. Okay. Qualified. But but but. but uh, you need to get a good job. Yeah, sure. You want to look for a, a new grad. And I tell new grads this all the time. You want to look for a, a workplace that doesn't have just one vet. Um, you want a really supportive vet clinic. And, and I was fortunate enough to, to end up in one of those places. Yeah. And, and you learn it all on the job. And you don't get thrown in the deep end. You know, I was lucky enough. I was basically supported surgically for, you know, probably the first 18 months of my career, you know. And, I'm, and I still learn now, you know. It, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always different. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't know that about veterinary science. Um, mm. There's probably lots of other things I don't know about it as well. I want to ask about your current practice, but quickly mm. before I do that, do you have pets yourself? Yeah, probably too many. <laughs> Good um, answer. <laughs> Kate, Kate and I, we have, um, we have three cats. And they're all, they all come from vet clinics that I've worked at. Mm. Um, and we, we, we have a little dog. Um, and we have two turtles, and we, I think we have maybe six budgies now. And that, oh most, wow! Most of the budgies have come from from work too. So, and mm-hmm. um, if, if sort of no owners come forward, then they they sort of end up at, in my aviary. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, so there's a lot of animals. We don't have a big place, so we're sort of we're at our at our max. Um, and Kate and I, we've banned each other from, from bringing home more rescue animals because they end up being permanent animals. Yes, I'm sure they do. So your current practice, which is where I met Chris because he cares for my much-loved dog, Lenny, is uh, the East Side Vet. And so when did you start in that practice? I, I purchased the business in December 18, um, which doesn't feel like that long ago, but, but it does at the same time. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, before that, I was I was a fly and fly out vet in Alice Springs, and then before that, I, I worked a very long time at, at a clinic down south of um, mm-hmm. And so, how does it feel then to have your own practice? Are you enjoying that? I, I do enjoy it. Um, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, and from a business point of view, I think I'm a good vet, yeah. but I'm sort of learning how to run a business so I'm on the go. And um, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've got really great support staff. Um, and I've got a pretty pretty great clientele, and that I obviously inherited when I, when I took over the practice. Yeah, but it's, I think I'll be here for the next thirty odd years. So I, I hope. Oh, it's that's very good to know. Hmm. I've spoken to a lot of people on my podcast who are running their own business, and they all, without exception, say what a steep learning curve it is. Hmm. As you say, if you've got the right people around you, hmm. then that's the key. I think. Yes. What services do you offer at your clinic? Do you see all animals or do you have certain types of animals you do and don't see? 
I'm a small animal vet, so I'll, I'll see lots of dogs and cats. Yeah. Um, but we'll also see you know um, rabbits, guinea pigs, lots of birds, um, reptiles, and, and a bit of wildlife here or there, um, which we accept and, and treat um, if, if treatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of, I sort of wanted to develop a clinic that was providing modern medicine, but we still wanted to maintain that family clinic environment. Yep. And that wasn't too sterile. So we're, we're, we're working on that. Oh, it's great. And I guess um, in the introduction, I said that Australians are great pet lovers. And I think 61% of households have a pet. And the most popular or most common pet is a dog, yep. followed by cats. What, Chris, are some of the most rewarding things about your job? I, again, I think the obvious answer is, you know, it's, it's a privilege working with animals. I think that is a privilege, um, as it is to own an animal. It is. Um, but I think what is the, the most rewar- rewarding, I find, is the positive impact you have on, on, the, on, the, on the humans attached to those animals, mm. Um, mm. which is probably not something as an undergrad that I really thought about. Um, and it may be something, you know, as positive as, as, as treating an animal from, you know, from illness to health, or it may be, you know, spending the time with that the owner and to help them making the decision to allow their animal to pass peacefully you know and, and, and that it's odd but that can be rewarding too you know yeah and, you know you've done a good job helping helping that family through that experience and making that decision because obviously it's a very hard decision to make you know because hmm. you have to try and detach the emotion a little bit and work out what's the best outcome for the animal so well that leads in nicely to then the next question well what what is the most challenging or difficult aspect of your job one thing one thing i, str- I struggle with and, and is is the, the occasional misconception that that you know, vets here that we are motivated by money and and um, you know we should do it for the love and and all those sort of comments which are fairly negative um, mm. but the reality is good quality medicine is expensive and there's no Medicare for pets. Um, yeah. And we do our best to work within the means of the client. But it sort of has to be understood that, you know, you need to survive as a business and pay your staff. And, and if you're working within limitations, which you might have to, then it might be challenging to arrive at a diagnosis or to appropriately treat an animal. You know, yeah. we, we, might not know we might know all the things that can be done, but if we can't do all those things, it can be quite quite tough. And that's, just, that's part of being a vet, you know, you, you sort of, you work within the means of the client, but it needs to be understood on the other end as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. I thought you were going to say um, putting an animal down. <laughs> well, that's hard, but, but, but I suppose I, I'm, I'm not worried about doing that when it's the right time, you know, and, and, and yes. I think we, we're, we're privileged to be able to make that decision, you know, so I, I don't... Yes, it is emotional, but is that the hardest part of my job? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't mm. think it is. Mm. When you were in um, veterinarian school, veterinarian school, I mean, did you have any counselling or teaching about how to approach clients in that way or is that really just something that you learn on the job? Maybe a little bit like the surgery. You know, I, I do recall there might have been a, a couple of lessons you know, I, but I don't, I don't remember them that well, you know, but I'm sure there yeah. was something. You need to be empathetic and you need to be able to adapt to different, different scenarios. You know, some, some euthanasias are planned over several weeks for an animal with a terminal illness. So you mm-hmm. see it coming in and you can plan it. Other times it'll be, you know, a poor dog that's been hit by a car that needs to be put down very quickly because they're in a lot of pain you know, yeah. and, and you can't fix it. 
you just need to be be aware that every situation is different and and these inter- and the interactions with, with clients in those different scenarios will be very different you know and yes of course and, and, I, and I think yes you just you learn that as you go I don't think there's there's anything in a textbook that says specifically how you need to deal with, with different people and different scenarios you know and some people will need you to just physically be there to be supportive you know sure. other people will need you to be very verbally supportive mm. and I think again that's just something you learn when you learn about people they don't yes. thought about people you just sort of you, you learn that as you, as, as you go yeah no very interesting and mm-hmm. the reason I asked that question is because really the crux of what I want to talk to you about today is uh, the link between owning a pet or being involved with a pet and how that can enhance our well-being. Mm-hmm. And one example is that um, Beyond Blue, which is a not-for-profit organisation that supports people with mental health problems like depression, they have a whole page dedicated to pets and their impact on mental health. They say pets can support you in unspoken ways. They provide companionship, unconditional affection, they bond with you and that supports mental health. And I think that's that's really true. I mean, certainly from my own experience of owning pets. So, Chris, I assume over the years you've probably seen thousands of pets and their owners. And so as a general observation, do you notice the benefits that pets have on their owners' um, health and well-being? Yeah, absolutely. You know, but at, at Eastside specifically here, and I have a fairly old clientele base, and I'm not referring to you. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we have a few retirement homes down the road, and and I will often see a gentleman or a lady um, who comes in with a little fluffy dog, and, and they will say to me, you know, my, my, my partner's you know, passed away you know, six months ago, and this, this little dog is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh. It's that time. And, 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 and they will be totally obsessed with this little fluffy thing, you know, and, and that's, I imagine, helped them with the grieving process of, you know, losing someone they've been with for, say, 40, 50 years, you know, and, and these little dogs helped them through that and, and, and they will openly talk about that. Yeah. Uh, and I guess if you, if you even think about you know, current times and, and, and COVID restrictions and, and lockdowns and the sort, and a, a common comment would be, you know, thank God I had Fluffy here with me because I wouldn't know what to do during those, you know, those, those six weeks or whatever it was. You know, and, and, and interestingly, there, there was a puppy and kitten purchasing boom during COVID. Like oh, really? A, like you can't even get puppies and kittens at the moment. They're, they're all gone. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, it does yeah. make sense, doesn't it? Yeah, well, in May and June at Eastside, I saw more puppies and kittens than I'd seen in the previous eight months. Actually, just anecdotally, I, a lot of friends have posted pictures of new um, mm. cats and dogs, puppies and kittens on their, their Instagram. So, yes, I guess... You know, we're seeing it. It's Australia-wide. Like it, it, it's mm. commonly spoken about, among, you know, amongst veterinary, you know, um, chat groups and the sort. Do you think that I'm speaking specifically about probably more dogs than other animals here? Do you think they can pick up on their owners' moods? I think dogs. I think we know dogs can. Um, they can recognise human facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So yes, but but I think we don't give enough credit to cats. Yeah, see, I'm not. I don't really know much about cats. So tell me about cats. Well, I I, I do know there was one study. I, I don't know heaps of details regarding the study, but it was in 15 in the US, and there was 12 or so cats, and and uh, they were basically um, assessing the cats' behaviours to their owners when their owners were smiling, you know, mm-hmm. with a positive appearance, 
and these cats were found to be more likely to to to, to, to need and um, and to purr and to sit on their lap and to just stay around versus with, with versus their owners frowning and, and looking very negative. And I know that's 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 not a heap of science behind that, but but you know I I, I do wonder. Yeah. And you think about like even even in 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 the consult here at work, um, if I have a have a client that's particularly on edge or anxious or, or you know really outwardly stressed, um, it's not uncommon for that pet to be the same. Yeah, very interesting. They pick up on that on edge, and not sitting still, and, and not yeah, examine. Do you think that if we talk about some of the ways that pets do enhance well-being, there's some obvious ones like you know, walking your dog that keeps you active. Um, it gives you perhaps routine in your life. What about the social connection of people that own animals? What what kind of things do you see there? I think if you think about two strangers that are outside, right, and they're having a walk, and if, if they both have a dog, then they immediately have something in common. Mm. There's a common ground. So that's that, that, that social anxiety of talking to a stranger is, is completely removed. You know, yeah. you just talk about your pet. And I find that even, you know, myself in consult, you know, it's really easy to talk to my clients even though I don't know them because we have something in common. Yeah. We, we both have dogs or cats, you know. And so I think I think there, there is a, it's a, it's a great it's a great conversation starter. And, and there's a group of, 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 of ladies that come see me that regularly will go to the, the local dog park and, and catch up every, every Wednesday or Thursday, whatever it is. And, and, and they, they really enjoy that. And that's, I've actually managed to get a few clients that way because they go and they talk about, they talk about their pets and they talk about which vet they go and see, you know, oh, and they me, you know, so absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I have found that myself. I, if I go out for a walk alone, you just don't stop and talk to people in general, do you? But if you're with your animal, with your dog in my case, you're right, You people actually stop and talk and you can form bonds and I always have this presumption that if someone has a dog with them they must be a pretty decent person because <laughs> they're looking after after their animal. That's fair assessment. Yeah, yeah yeah I also read about a study Chris and I'd be interested just to hear your thoughts in general on this that it was an epidemiological study where they showed that children who grow up in households with dogs had a lower risk of developing um, autoimmune illnesses such as asthma and allergies. And the theory is, I mean, I guess they don't know this for sure, but the theory is that the diversity of microbes that these animals bring inside the house sort of work in combination with our own immune systems and strengthen them. So do you think that sounds like a likely um, reason? I think there's merit in that. You know, you, you if you think about like I know when I was a little kid, my parents would, would encourage me to play in the dirt or mm. play in the sand pit of playgroup. You know, that's that, that sort of that sort of theory was was the reason why. And and there's other studies, I forget where it's come from, but there's there's one to suggest that you know, with a, with a newborn baby living with a dog for the first year of its life, they're less likely to develop respiratory illnesses. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm sure there is there is merit in that. You know. When, mm. How to, how to prove that point, I'm not sure. It's, it's all anecdotal, but, but I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, these studies, the study I mentioned was epidemiological, so it's not a proof, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it sort of, there's a link. Yeah. Um, and what about, what about if a dog licks you? Does that, should you uh, wash your face or, or what? 
if I, if I did that, I'd, I'd be washing the skin off me, you know. It, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say go go around let dogs lick your face. I wouldn't I wouldn't encourage it because you can get some nasty bugs or, or, or parasites. Worms or something. You sure can, you know, so I, I wouldn't recommend it. But, but you know, my, my dog licks my face and it happens and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well, I believe. And, yeah, You've probably I, got a super immune system. I, I, I hope so. I wonder. As you might know, I enjoy reviewing wellbeing-related books. On the topic of things that can have a positive impact on mental health, such as pets, as Chris and I are discussing, a book about creating abundant well-being and emotional balance is Apples for the Mind by clinical psychologist Dr. Tom Nemi. In his insightful book, Dr. Nemi provides practical tools to look after our mental well-being in ways that will help to decrease the chances of mental ill health. Many of us look after our physical well-being and pay attention to what we eat, but how do we look after our minds? This topic that Dr. Nemi has researched is his passion and is beautifully presented in Apples for the Mind. I'll insert a link to my review in the show notes where you can also purchase the book if you wish. Also, if this topic interests you, please listen to my interview with Dr. Nemi in episode number 16. And now back to my discussion with veterinarian Chris. Chris, if we talk a little bit about working dogs, they can contribute, as you know, to people's well-being in such a variety of ways. Some of them, like guide dogs, for example, receive very specific training. My brother-in-law has a guide dog, so that's something that's very close to my heart. And they are also useful for people in institutions. I think um, there's been some studies on prisoners where they had dogs uh, in a prison in the US and the um, incidence of violent uh, interactions went down quite a lot or significantly. And also they have in Victoria, they have a system called trauma support dogs where People who are victims um, and have to give some difficult evidence in a case will have a dog with them and that often helps them, um, relieves them of anxiety and helps them to talk. So I'm just curious to know, Chris, about these dogs that are trained to support dogs. I mean, you often see Labradors. Are there specific breeds that are more adept for those kind of roles? Yeah, it has to be. You, you probably wouldn't put it, you know, a little Jack Russell Terrier in you know, those roles. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being breedist, and I'm sure there are some very calm Jack Russells. But yes, your Labradors and your Golden Retrievers—they're great support dogs. You know, they have a patient demeanour. They're overtly friendly, um, and they're, they're great learners. You know, and yeah. So you have to choose the right breed for, for those types of things. And in terms of like the, the trauma support, you know. It, it, People with PTSD also um, find dogs very helpful, and, and I think it's because they are gentle, they're intuitive, they you know they they express unconditional love. Um, but they but they also you know that trauma support you were talking about. It's probably because they, they provide a sense of calm and, and, yeah. and safety and comfort just by by physically being there. You know, mm. I think one thing I love about dogs is that dogs just love their owners almost no matter what you could be a you know a violent criminal and your dog yeah. would still love you correct correct yeah. yeah absolutely right i wonder if they're more intelligent than we give them credit for they probably are i probably agree with you yeah chris so we're talking about the different breeds of dogs so different breeds i believe have different characteristics like as you say you wouldn't make a 
Jack Russell a, a guide dog. <laughs> You'd be running in zigzags all <laughs> yeah. over the place. So what are, can you give us some examples of various different breed types and what some of their traits or characteristics are? Let me think about Kelpies and Border Collies. Um, so essentially, they're historically farm dogs. And, you know, they're, they're obedient, they're, they're, you know, they're nimble, they're intelligent, um, but they're, they're workaholics, so they need a purpose. Right. So they're best suited for you know, active families mm-hmm. or someone invested in, I suppose, um, like training and, and activities. Um, yes. If you have a tiny backyard and you are very busy and you purchase one of these dogs, you, you will probably end up with one um, that, that's anxious, uh, restless, destructive. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be a nightmare, you know, and that's mm. not the dog's fault. That's just because it's, it's it, the environment is suited to its personality. So, yeah, they're, they're yeah. all different. You think about terriers, which is, which is you know, irrelevant to you. You know, you, yes. you're not like a, big, a big terrier. Um, you know, they're, they're hardy dogs and they can be stubborn, um, but they, you know, they're, they're still smart and, and they're pretty relentless when, when, when they have a problem to solve. And that's why they were used you know, for, for hunting, you know, for, for you know, little creatures down holes or if they're too big above, above ground, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relentless. That's a that's a very good way to describe my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think, therefore, what I'm hearing is, if someone wants to own a dog, they need to do a bit of research into the type of dog that fits into their lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. Like a lot of research. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mm. What about those huge dogs? Like, say the big big ones I can think of are. Irish wolfhounds and Rhodesian ridgebacks. I assume big dogs need more space and a lot of exercise. Is that a correct assumption? Maybe for Rhodesian ridgebacks, yes. But for, for your, your, your huge deerhounds, your Great Danes, mm. I wouldn't say they need a heap of exercise. Okay. There's only regular stimulation, um, um, but they're not on the same level as you know, your border clothes and kelpies that need to run for hours on end. Yeah. And anything about greyhounds, for example, but greyhounds don't want to do a whole lot. You know, is that right? Yeah, they're happy just to, to just to be. Um, you know, you still walk them, of course, but but you don't. You think because they're an athletic-looking dog, you'd, you'd yeah. have to go away. But yes, they're they're they're, they're bred for, for, for running. Um, but but when you adopt one of these dogs um, through the GAP program, you, you'll see that they, they don't want a whole lot. They're happy just to be. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I would have assumed that they would mm. just want to run all the time because that's really what mm. you associate with a greyhound. Chris says there's, there's also different types of dogs. So there's obviously the purebred dogs like a Labrador and a Poodle and an Airedale Terrier in my case. Um, there are mixed breeds where mum and dad might be different. And then there are, I don't know if this is the correct label, but sort of designer dogs um, so yeah. can you tell us about the different sort of types of dogs? So a purebred is, is uh, basically when the parents and the ancestors are, are, have come from one breed, okay? And there's usually, you know, papers or a pet pedigree associated with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and those dogs will usually be part of some sort of, I suppose, breed-related dog club. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your designer breeds, that's sort of breeding two purebreds together. Um, so, like, yeah, common in, in our work is lab doodles. Yep. You might see tons of them. I guess the benefits of, of, of purebred dogs by themselves is you know what you're getting, so it's easier to research and you yeah. sort of know what to expect in regards to you know, what is required to look after them, what sort of health conditions they are likely to get, and all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas your, your mixed breeds are just sort of your, yeah, a mixture of a, a ton of things. Um, right. It's a bit more um, random. 
bit more random. And they're sort of the dogs that I've, I've grown up with. With a, a mixed breed where they're breeding, a say, a Labradoodle, do you start from scratch every time or can two Labradoodles have a Labradoodle or do you always have to go back to the original mixture? Um, I, I believe you can, and, I, and don't quote me on this, but I believe you can go Labradoodle with Labradoodle. And, okay. And I, like... I'm not sure they, they, they have to go back to the start of a, of a Labradoodle with a poodle every single time. Yeah, no, I really don't know. It's like a mule, isn't it? Like yes, yes. They can't breed themselves, but what are they, a horse and a donkey? A donkey, that's right, a donkey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wondered if it was like a mule. I, I just didn't know that. <laughs> For people that do have pets, dogs and cats, can you give us a couple of tips on some training for them? Like what are the things that you should start with when you have a new puppy and also when you have a new kitten? Like what what kind of things should people do? If I can say the one thing that's most important is you, is you want to, you want to, you know, adopt positive reinforcement training. So you sort of, uh, it's teaching animal to perform an action, you know, in order to gain a reward. And um, so you can sort of mould or change a behaviour um, by rewarding the behaviour you want and ignoring the one that you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and this reward could be like, because um, you've got to find something valuable. So it could be a treat, which is usually, usually what it is, a treat. Yeah. Um, or it could be, you know, verbal praise. It could be pats. It could be playing fetch you know, or another toy. I think often we make the mistake of using negative reinforcement, which we, we, we never should. And, and, and negative reinforcement, that that's, you know, so say you, you yell when they do the wrong thing or, you, or you, you, you smack or you tap on the nose or, or you use a spray bottle, um, mm-hmm. which, which people still often do, especially for cats. And, and sure, it's going to make that pet run away from that behaviour at that particular time, but all it's making that pet is probably head shy. And, okay. and anxious and, and, and I will see that in a consult when I try and examine that pet's ears or, or look in that pet's mouth or, and, or go to pat that pet, you know. And so I think you just adopt positive reinforcement only and never, never negative reinforcement is not two things I know, but, but that's probably the, the, the key. So basically you're saying you ignore the negative behaviour, just don't acknowledge it, just ignore it. Well, you, you sort of you sort of re- redirect it, you know. So say say, say the negative behaviour is um, a big one's puppies that mouth. So puppies puppies will mouth. It's what they're mm. it's in their nature. Yeah. Know? Part of that might be teething, sure, but but for someone that's just play behaviour, they do it with their litter mates, right? Yeah. If you if you allow that mouthing behaviour to continue, then it might become a twenty five kilo dog that's mouthing. You know, it, it is not suitable. So, you know, you, you, you're not going to, when they're doing it, you don't yell, you don't hit, you don't grab and push away. You know, you, 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 either, you either stand up, walk away and ignore that behaviour or you will redirect it to a toy, for example. Okay. Instead of, instead of your hand. Yeah, sure. Okay. And when 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 you when you are playing with that with that pet, say it's a dog, and 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 they're not doing that naughty behaviour, you positively reinforce that. So you know you sit, you stay, you have a treat. Yep. Hmm. And what about with cats? Are there things mm-hmm. owners should do for when they have well, a well, well, it, it's it's trickier. Yeah, I must admit, um, but it's it, it, it's the same fundamentals really. And you, you need to find something that that kitten finds valuable. And, and again, when it's doing naughty behaviours, you, you, you don't negatively reinforce them. You, you, you just you, you ignore them. And mm-hmm. That might involve you know, walking away. It might involve waiting for them to do the right thing and giving them a reward for that, you know. But harder. It's hard. It's harder, but it's the same, same principle. I, and, and I guess the same principle, but I, I reckon cats 
cats know what they cats are stubborn yeah <laughs> cats are trickier to train I, I appreciate i do wonder whether cats are smarter than dogs i'm not sure yet yeah i don't I know wonder. I wonder. is there any truth to the um you often hear that it's and I'll, i may get this the wrong way around but it's better to have a cat first and then a dog or the other way around or does it does it really matter what order you get them in i don't think it matters as long as you when you when you bring the new pet in you you respect that the other pet was there first sure and 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 you you give the pets time and what i mean by that is you don't just pop them in the same room together on day dot it's just going to end in a, in a nightmare. If it's a puppy, right. a cat that was already there, the puppy's just going to want to chase the cat until yeah, the cat yeah. pops, you know, and the cat's going to want nothing to do with it and, and it can be vice versa. So it, it's it's just respecting who was there first and then gradually introducing. That might mean separating at different ends of the house for a little while so they can get used to the, the, the sense or the smell of that mm-hmm. other pet being there. So you, you ease them in. Ease them in, yeah. And also, Chris, I've, I'm just personally curious about this. I've read that dogs don't like being hugged, like sort of coming over their back. Is that true? I think if you don't know the dog, of course, you wouldn't do that. No, no, it could um, be dangerous. You know, like I, I think if you if you try to hug from from front on and, and go you know straight toward them, I think that is confronting and, and stressful. Um, in terms of you know petting and, and, and hugging, that I think I think as long as you're not you know, really squeezing and, and, and enveloping them. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a, a big problem. Um, but you, you just sort of don't go straight at, at the face and, um, and, and don't, if, if they're sort of struggling with whatever you're doing, you don't, you don't, you know, force the matter, you know. They're, they're, yeah, sure. They probably don't want it, you know. So you, you, you read those cues and, and you, you also read other cues, you know, is that, does it cause that dog to start panting and licking their lips? Are they showing other sort of nervous behaviours? So their eyes wide, you know? So you just have to read read your dog. I, I hug my dog. Yeah, well, I, I hug Lenny, my dog too, but in a gentle sort of way. I don't squeeze him because he wouldn't. I mean, he'd start growling if I did that. <laughs> like a nurturing way. You do it in a nurturing way. Very yeah. like, just like you would do it in an in, in infant, you know? You wouldn't squeeze too hard. So what are the signs then that your dog is nervous or anxious? You mentioned um, licking their lips um, or their nose. What, what else do they yeah, they're panting? They lick a bit more. They might be panting and their eyes might be wide. They might be rigid and just restless, you know. Yeah, okay. And, 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 and I think what a really important thing is if the dog is wagging their tail, it doesn't necessarily mean they're happy. So oh, is that right? Of, yeah, I see lots of nervous dogs in consult that are really nervous and that are, that are wag, still wagging their tails. Okay. And it's the same with kitty cats. Kitty cats will purr when they're comfortable, yes, but kitty cats will also purr when they're stressed and when they're anxious. Oh, okay. I'll have a kitty cat on the consult table and oh, he's purring, you must like being here. And I know for well that cat isn't enjoying being here, you know. Um, so the purring can be can be something to, to show their anxiety. So I guess for you, you get to you must understand the other signs as well. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And do you think some pets are drawn? to certain people i always find for example that i don't know why but maybe i other dogs always come up to me but maybe they go up to everyone i'm not sure but is it is it the way you present yourself you know like we talked earlier about uh, you know, facial expressions you know do you do you appear to be a, a happy and accepting person you know a dog's not going to come up to someone that that's that's that looks angry and yeah. uh, loud and um, you know has an aggressive stance. You know, and whereas I okay. you look quite gentle. You know, and so are, are they drawn to certain people? Well, I, I suppose so, but they're probably reading reading our cues. Reading this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, dogs always make me smile, so 
I always smile when I see a dog, so maybe that's the cue I'm giving. Chris, I, I don't know whether you'll be able to answer this question given how many pets you have, but are you a cat or a dog person? If you asked me 10 years ago, pre-owning cats, I'd probably say dog. Now, I, I, the cheating answer is I'm, I'm indifferent, so I, 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 I don't have a favourite at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love cats. I've got in a family that was very dog dog orientated and so I didn't know cats that well and but yeah. now I, I know them and I, I like them and, and I, I sort of like their personality and and they truly believe that we are we are slave they are master and I sort of I don't know <laughs> I, I, I like that about them that cool confidence yeah, that they have. Absolutely right. And they're all the same. I've really grown up with dogs and would say I'm a dog person, but I'm certainly not averse to getting a cat. Maybe next time I see you, I'll be coming in with my cat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, from what you said before, yeah. there's none available. They're hard to find at the moment. Yeah. 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 So, in terms of COVID 19, then what, what adjustments have you had to make in your daily practice? to accommodate that we're probably a little bit more relaxed now than we were at the start of the year mm. uh, we're still we're still cautious uh, which i think you have to be and at the start of the year when it when it all when it all hit off and um, we had to change our, our practice policies quite significantly and, and and this is where my support team was was excellent because they're the they're the ones that had to sort of implement that yeah and so we, we had to make a few rules uh, like we weren't allowed to have more than one client in, in the building at once because we're a small a small clinic mm -hmm. um, so we'd have to coordinate that so owners would have to call when they arrive and then we'd have to you know call them back when when the previous client had left and um, so it was a lot of a lot of messing around for, for the for the receptionists yeah. and, and we we um you know we, we stopped handshaking which is something i used to always do but and yeah. I, we still don't do that um obviously the hand hygiene is, is something that we you know we were already doing a lot of these things but we sort of really really pushing it and, and yes providing the sanitizers for the customers as well. And, and the, the trickiest one I found was we, we made a rule pretty early on that anybody that was showing any, any cold or flu symptoms was, was simply not allowed to be in the clinic. Yes. And so the guys would ask that question over the phone and, and, and most people were understanding of that, but very occasionally, um, you know, we had a few times when someone would still come and, and they'd be in the waiting room and you'd hear them coughing and spluttering and sneezing. And I know it's oh just cold, but the, the reality was that we then had to sort of kindly. Um, oh, that's that's it, awkward, you know, isn't it? It was, it was horribly awkward, you know. Yeah. And so it was, it was a tricky time, but, but now we're sort of, again, we're, we're a little bit more relaxed. When I say that, we're not ignoring the fact of what's still happening elsewhere. Um, no. Um, so, yes, we're still not handshaking. We're still sanitising our hands. We're still, um, you know, talking to clients about where they've been. And as far as I know, animals can't contract COVID-19. Is that true? Do you know? It's, there needs to be a lot of research before you sort of give um, definitive answers. Okay. I, I do know that, 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 that some felines and, and big cats as well as domestic cats have tested positive, but the thought is that they, they're they not contagious to a human being. Right. Um, but there's another thought that in, indirectly, like if you say you pat an animal um, that's been petted by a human with COVID, you can indirectly um, oh, okay. um, get, you know, contract that way. That's um, just through the surface touching, yeah, not, not the animal being on, sick. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th I think early on there was a Pomeranian in Hong Kong, I think, that apparently had COVID. Oh, right. Uh, but, and apparently got it from an owner. But again, like 
we're talking about very, very, you know, single type cases. And so there's not a whole lot of research done at this yeah. stage for me to sort of give definitive answers. But I, I do know like a lot of the recommendations, um, not so much in Australia, but, 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 but overseas is, um, and if, if someone in a household has, has COVID, then, then um, the, the pet should be separated from that, that, that person as well as the rest of the, the human. Oh, I see. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for talking to us about pets. We all love our pets. And just a few questions to wrap up. So who inspires you, Chris? It's probably a very sort of wanky answer, but it's but it have to be my, my parents, you know, and, and, and I think... That's a wonderful answer. The, the reason being, I, I guess, is, is, is my parents, and I had five siblings, and, and my parents managed to, to, to raise us all reasonably well, I think, and, and, um, and that was off a, a high school teacher's salary and that was it. And we all went, managed to go to you know, good schools and, and um, we've all ended up with really you know, good careers and, and, right. and that that's must be how we were moulded. I mean, we know that. And so I, I, I look back and, back and I think I don't really know how they did it because me and my brothers were terrible and, <laughs> and, and, and I, I don't know how they did it, but, it, but it's, it's quite an incredible feat. That is wonderful, isn't it? And so where did you come in the family? I was the first boy, second child. Oh, I, was the, I was the second boy, but my first brother um, died as a young, young baby. Um, but uh, with the, the five of us that are still here, I'm the second along. Oh, well, that's sad that your brother died. Did you know him or were you born after? No, he bought me. So he, 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 he died within a few, I think, a few weeks. Right. Oh, your poor parents. And Chris, the final question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? I've been thinking about this answer and I, 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 feel, I feel a little guilty about giving this answer because I, I, I'm not always the best at practising these things myself, but these are things I do believe in um, and, and I, I, I try hard. Um, but I think, and this is probably something that my, that my partner Kate always tells me, you've got to celebrate the wins. Um, yes. And no matter how tall they are, um, and, and spend more energy on celebrating these things than the energy spent on on dwelling on your on your maybe not failures isn't the right word, but maybe your mistakes. And, yep. and, and that's been important to me over the past, I guess, 18, 18 months. And the other thing, I, I guess, especially as I get older, is learning to listen to my body. And, and if it's telling me to slow down, then I probably need to slow down and not try and push through it, and and, and, and give myself some time. And again, that's that's a work in progress. Yeah, I think they're very good tips. Chris, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you about one of my favourite topics in the world, and that is animals. <laughs> so I hope you have a good, good day. I will. You too. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found today's interview interesting or inspiring. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. And if you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, you can subscribe on, on all good podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Overcast, iHeartRadio and Google Podcasts. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Simply click the red subscribe button there. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook and check out my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. You can contact me there via the contacts page and do feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed and I will do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. It has become my full-time job 
to which I dedicate a lot of time, money and effort. If you enjoy my podcast and would like to support it, I would be so grateful. You can make contributions via my Patreon page or via PayPal from the support page on my website. I'll put a link in the show notes, so please do check it out. Another way you can support my podcast is by purchasing a book from the Book Reviews page on my website. If you click on the Amazon link there, at no extra cost to you, I will receive a small commission when you buy a book. Thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.